Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Today we are witnessing. Thank you. Today we are witnessing one of the greatest phenomenons, and like what I said, it's not about investing, but the internet. And basically, every tenet of society has changed because of the internet, and including investing. And I'll share to you guys first how investing used to be. And there are always three basic steps when it came to investing. First, you needed to know what that asset was, what that business was like, and how much cash flow that business could generate. And it's not just about what, how much it's making today, but step two is also finding out how much it's gonna be making tomorrow and the years to come. And step three behind all of this is understanding how much capital you needed to fund all these businesses and infrastructure and all these uh, different types of uh, businesses going forward. And that's normally how you value businesses in the stock market. In fact, if you look at historically, Warren Buffett always told you that always invest in companies that you know. And across the board, we always look at traditional types of business. And just to give you guys some examples, in transportation, you needed railroads. In logistics, you needed warehouse. In real estate, you needed to build condominiums, buildings. In retail, you needed to build malls. And in energy, you needed to build power plants. And in most cases, all these industries and businesses were all profitable. So what does this all have to do in today's type of environment? And I'd just like to share with you guys what the Philippine landscape looks like. And in the last five years, from 2015 to 2018, all corporates that listed on the stock exchange and went to IPO were all part of that traditional industry standpoint. So the answer, the question, the biggest question is, what does the internet have to do with all these traditional types of industry? And I'd like to share to you guys the landscape and how it's changing today. Because if we step outside the Philippines and look at it from a U.S. standpoint and a global standpoint, what you're seeing is most businesses today are not asset-heavy anymore. They're not building huge infrastructure and spending so much on capital expenditure. But today, the most businesses today are all what we call asset-like. And in finance, this is the word that a lot of people criticize. It's called intellectual property. And the funny part about all of that is that majority of firms that are listing today, globally, are now not profitable. So just to give you sight and different industries and examples, you have e-commerce, you have the mobile segment, you have the cloud computing, internet of things, space, cybersecurity, and if you take a look at all IPOs in the last 20 years, last two decades, 80%, more than 80% of companies today are now non-profitable. And the last time we see, we saw these types of companies listing on the stock exchange that were non-profitable was in 1999 to 2000, which was the US tech bubble. Now, conditions are obviously much different from where we were in 1999 versus 2019. But I'd just like to share to you guys that this business model and these types of companies that will be listing forward is not going to be changing anytime soon. And so what's important for us is to understand why. And there are pros and cons to every single type of company that's listing. And the pros is, asset light, you're, you're able to build a product, you're able to roll out, and that's why a lot of startups are coming here 
every single day trying to bring that idea that you can bring not just to your small community in the Philippines, but all over the world. What's the cons of all of this? Is that most companies that go through this stage are burning and burning like crazy. And that's why when you see the number of companies in the stock market have fallen by over half in the last two decades. So what does this mean? Are all startups bound for nowhere's land? But that's not really true. Because if I show to you, despite the number of companies that have listed in the stock exchange that have dwindled down over the last two decades, I just like to point out that market cap and valuations of all corporates are now at record highs. So what does this mean? Is that companies are getting bigger, but the number of companies that are existing are also getting smaller. And what's happening today is nothing uncommon. It's because of all these internet, of all these efficiency, what you're seeing is the number of M&A happening in the last two decades have continued to climb every single year. So it's a combination of two things. One, number of companies listing has gone down because of non-profitability. And two, M&A has increased. So a lot of companies that you see that are able to build ideas have actually been conquered and taken away by some of these large conglomerates. And so what's the point of all of this is that I just like to show to you guys this chart by the modern finance theory, Mr. Aswa the moderate. And he showed you guys that usually companies go through five different stages. And stage one is about the startup. Stage two is that you have that idea that is still growing. Stage three is scaling that idea, which puts you into high growth. Stage four and five is about going through that maturity stage and how you're operating at a cash flow level, but businesses are starting to slow down. And last but not the least is declining where some companies fail to innovate. And the reason why I show this chart is because traditionally, most companies, if you tell somebody, oh, I'm listing a company and it's not profitable, most people would just laugh at you. And even in the Philippines, most companies are listing usually in the high growth type of phase where business is already growing, it's already scaling, and usually that's the highest level of value creation being done. But if you look at today and where else in the world, is that now people are now starting to focus not on the harvesting stage and high growth and maturity, but most companies today are willing to pay huge premiums already at very early stages of that company's life. Okay? And so the point I'd like to make out is that what does this all mean? Okay. What does this all mean? What's the good and obviously what's the bad? And the good part about all of this okay, is that if you look at the Philippine landscape, I'd just like to share with you guys this one, one, one thought about the Philippine landscape, is that you actually see less startups here in the Philippines. But what we actually have here in the Philippines is that there's a lot of hybrid companies what do I mean is that there are a lot of large conglomerates that have startups within them. And in fact, it's not non-existent. Actually, if you look at all these companies I have here, there's Globe, PLDT, you have Ayala Group, you have the SM Group, all investing in these startups. So as individuals and as investors, it's actually 
all pervaded within us. It's just a matter of seeing that all these companies are actually listed already in the Philippine Stock Exchange. And the beauty about it is that most of these companies and the value of these startups have yet to be unlocked in all of these conglomerates. That's why there's still massive opportunity for a lot of these conglomerates to still go even higher. Okay? You have Globe with Mint Technology, with Alibaba building out the Gcash. You have PLDT with Voyager, which was recently purchased for a small stake by the Tencent Group. You have Ayala, one day, no idea yet, might roll out with the Gojek. You have SM partnering with the Grab, and so on and so forth. That all these startups, people think that the Philippine startup case is very small, it's not existing, but it's actually right smack in your face with listed with all these large conglomerates here in the Philippines. And as investors, it is all accessible to you guys today. And my second point is about expectations from startups. And I share this story a lot because I think a lot of people focus too much on the product and not enough on the scalability. And you need both, let's put it that. And I just like to give this example on Visa because Visa, two decades ago, was nowhere to be found. And they were burning like crazy. Before all this fintech came about, Visa was the pioneer of all these cashless transactions. And they were able to transform the entire cash society into having that piece of plastic. And people at that time, they were charging 5% for every transaction that was made, and people were laughing at them, whether they would actually have enough scale to actually succeed. Two decades later, today, Visa is one of the most successful stories that all cash payment societies now are trying to become the next Visa and MasterCard. Because they were able to build a great product, roll it out with huge amounts of scale, not just in the US, but all over the world. And my second part about this scalability is about Tesla. Because not to bash Tesla, but 10 years ago, I don't think we've ever heard of new auto manufacturer was able to come out successfully. So we always hear about the same names in the auto manufacturer industry. Mercedes, BMW, Toyota, Honda, so on and so forth. And the reason why is because in the auto manufacturing industry, it's so hard for you to scale. Because for you to build out more cars, you need to build more factories, more fixed assets. You need to spend more in capital expenditure. And it's not an asset-like type of investment and business. So the reason why I share this to you is because as individuals, as young people, entrepreneurs, and all the future leaders of society, I'd like to share to you guys, when you're looking for that product, please make sure you understand how you plan to scale it in the future. And I'd like to end my talk by giving you guys just one last piece of information. Less than 1% of the Philippine population is invested in the stock market. That's less than 1 million Filipinos of the 110 million Filipinos we have in total. And this market has a long way to go. If you look at developed markets, over 50-60% of those total populations are invested. If you look at China, it's 30-40%. And I tell you, as individuals, as future leaders, and as entrepreneurs, 
I only suggest to you is understand how this landscape will be changing going forward, how you can benefit not just yourself, but the entire society. Thank you.